Good evening, good morning, good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Two Developers Down Under. I am joined, as per always, by the bitterly beautiful Kai Koenig. How are you doing today, Kai? I'm doing fine, Mark. How are you? I'm doing very, very well. Uh, we are we are separated by an ocean yet again, because I haven't come home yet. Yeah, it's so sad, actually, that big ocean between us. I miss you, man. I miss you a lot. Yeah, I miss you too. Kind of as well. <laughs> Make this as awkward as possible. So we have a guest in the wings. So why don't we get through the stuff of today very quickly, and then we can uh, move into that as quickly as possible. How's that sound? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. So, so uh, what do you? Who starts? Okay, I start apparently. Yeah. So I have. Um, it's Portugal Day today. Portugal Day. Yep. It's celebrated in Portugal, obviously. Okay. The other thing that's kind of interesting, um, today in 1977, the Apple II went on sale for the first time. That's pretty good. Okay, fair enough. kind of cool. Then I've got like another way back one um, in 1886, a big volcano, Mount Taravera in New Zealand erupted and killed 150-odd people. That was the last massive um, volcanic eruption here, I think. And finally, in 1963... The Equal Pay Act became U.S. federal law to basically um, help abolish wage disparity, disparity based on sex, which is kind of interesting that we're still talking about that 50 years later. It's true. Yeah, okay. and that's about it. Uh, the stuff I've got, which is behind you by slight day, uh, you'll like this one. It was the first trans-Pacific, the first Trans-Pacific flight was today in 1928. Oh, cool. Figured you'd appreciate that. Other than that, it's the birthday of Johnny Depp, Natalie Portman, and Michael J. Fox. All same day. Oh, okay. Uh, and that is re- – uh, oh, the birth of Les Paul, if anyone is a guitar fan. I have no idea who that is. Never mind. I don't – I'm not even musically inclined to know who that is, but that's fine. Okay. Clearly, if it doesn't involve cl- cats or or planes, you know, you're just not interested. That, that's not kind of not quite true, right? Like Michael J. Fox, for example, is kind of interesting because I recently um, bought the um, Back to the Future Lego kit, the DeLorean, and right. gave to a friend as a birthday gift, which is actually an awesome Lego model to give to someone and to own. I'm, I wish I had it myself, actually. <laughs> now, of course, we're joined by a guest. Would you like to introduce our guest, considering you're probably closer in proximity to him than I am? That is true, actually, I am. So our guest <laughs> today is um, Jeff Bowers, who is known as Modius and the benevolent dictator of the Far Cry community, also owns a web development company in Sydney and is currently the, I don't even know what he is, in the Lucy Foundation, the chairman, the secretary, I don't know what his, what the official title is, Jeff. Welcome, anyway. Well, good day. I was uh, almost fell asleep, you guys banging on. What's, uh, what's happening? <laughs> you, you weren't paying attention at all, were you? Kai, no, just doing, you some, doing some work at the site, you know. Like... Yeah, Kai, Kai gave you this great introduction where he extolled your virtues yeah. and told everyone about the wonderful things you do, and you're like, yeah, yeah, that's great, whatever, whatever. <laughs> whatever. So, okay, so, so Jeff, for, for the people who don't know you and, and – who also weren't listening to what Kai was saying. Do you want to give us a little bit of interesting background on you, other than the fact that you're a wonderfully amazing fellow? 
Well, uh, I could I could give you the life story. I did recently at the uh, the Dead Objective Conference. I tried to do a spin out of the personal life story of Jeff, in a bid to kind of communicate with everybody in the audience that you know we're all kind of similar. We're all in that cold fusion community, and some of us have been around for a very long time. Do you want the full? Kind of spectrum or just the abbreviated that, that's version? 30-second to a minute spiel. How's that? <laughs> oh, 30 Let's time box it. Okay. Let's time box well, it. Okay. Uh, published the first program in, I don't know, early 80s when I was 12 on the ZX81. Respect. And uh, went on to be uh, captain of computing when uh, computers were not very popular in those days. Respect. And then uh, everyone told me that computers were just rubbish. There would be no future in them. So I did science at university where I did nothing but computers, basically. Then I sold my soul to the city, became a stockbroker, moonlighted as a web developer, and then finally started my own company in 95. So 20, 20 odd years ago now. Uh, and Demon Internet Consultants here in Sydney was formed, and we've been building bespoke web applications ever since. I think we were Perl developers to begin with, or we definitely were Perl developers to begin with, and moved across to uh, Cold Fusion in around about the 97 kind of era, you know, at the beginning of the heyday of Valair. Wow. Right in the heyday, rode the, rode the boom right up, you know, I've got my own dot-com folly, like this huge kind of waterfall in the backyard, that type of thing. Then we had the crash and, uh, you know, lost everybody. It was just carnage. People are losing companies all over the place. It was, it was a mess. We fought our way through that. And I guess we're trying to live the dream, you know, a small company still around about 15 people, and we're focused on the things we want to build rather than the things we have to build. At least that's the dream. It doesn't always work out quite like that. But still still Cold Fusion developers. We um, probably look at different technology platform every year, but uh, we're still, still keen for CFML. CFML rocks. We love it. I know you've moved on, but... Um, we're still here. Good to hear. That was it. Was that 30 seconds? Your time box. I think, think it was a bit longer than 30 seconds, but it was still I was, good enough. I was, I was gonna, I was gonna gong you, but uh, I, then I was like, you know, he, he's just doing so well. I just couldn't <laughs> do it. <laughs> so when you say you are a cold fusion developer or your company are cold fusion developers, that's not entirely true anymore, right? You're more a CFML developer moving away from cold fusion. Towards Rilo yeah, and Lucy, right? you, you know, I know there's a branding thing and everything else, but I just use that interchangeably. I like Cold Fusion better than CFML because it sounds, you know, it sounds like some kind of strange non-atomic energy caper or hair extensions these days. I don't know if you've seen that. If you try and if you try and Google Cold Fusion, holy mackerel, you get the the whole hair extension thing happening. Oh, really? But um, <laughs> I do it's, it's a new phenomenon. The uh, so CFML, yes. Yeah. So we we still do quite a bit of work in the Adobe Cold Fusion in terms of clients having that installed, but mainly we're open source Cold Fusion these days. But to be fair, we also do uh, a bit of Java, Python, um, a lot of DevOps these days. We even do like separate DevOps consulting to our normal application development business. So what are you quite using a few the things that we do. What's the, we're what's using smorgasbord of elements. We have not jumped on the uh, the Google bandwagon. They were just slightly too late, so we're AWS all the way, baby. It makes me sad. That makes me sad. I know. <laughs> I was listening. I was listening to. Um, I was listening to the last podcast, and it's, some of the stuff's very interesting. I mean, obviously, the whole container thing is is taking off. 
it's still a bit of a wrap run in terms of you know where you look next, but um, Docker containers definitely the future, but probably not today. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. So, one oh, well, the- that was a pretty profound statement and total silence. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> Continue. So, one, of, one of the reasons why we invited you onto this show in particular was the discussion Mark and I had in our last podcast, right? Like talking about the Lucy Association and our kind of like, I don't want to say opposite opinions, but like fundamentally different opinions on the legal situation on of Lucy 5, that whole legal spat, the blog post from the majority shareholder of, you know, the Rilo company, Lucy's response, yada, yada, yada. And I think after our podcast, that got discussed as well in like, you know, various chats and Twitter and stuff like that. Hi, so Brad. Just... Hi. <laughs> 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 so it was Brad who got involved with that. Yep. And so we thought it would be a fun idea to just have you on the show and, you know, talk about that a little bit. So first, sure. can, you, can you tell us what your, what your official position is at Lucy so that we have some perspective on that too? Starting there. Okay, so Lucy is let's let's probably Lucy is the, the community server product. So let's sort of that's a code base, and as a custodian of that code base, we have what's called the Lucy Association Switzerland, which is uh, a Swiss Verein. Actually, I should give well the Swiss German pronunciation. It's Swiss Verein. Um, apparently that sounded totally the German same. It no, there was a Verein, but the Verein, Verein, yeah, Verein. Anyway, so it's it's a it's a special kind of legal structure which allows you to uh, form an association of members where each member has a single vote. It's um it's the same sort of structure you might have for a chess club, golf club, union, uh, law firm. Uh, it's it's pretty much a, a kind of ubiquitous formation inside the kind of Swiss. Uh, commercial area or, or non-commercial as well, and it's backed by the Swiss code, if you like. So the, the Swiss legal system is directly has this association concept directly enshrined, and it's probably quite fascinating to talk with respect to how that might play out as a you know a kind of a legal entity for the custodianship of open source code. If you want to talk about that, we we'll talk about that a little bit later. But essentially, it's only been around for six months, and. As part of that, we only have uh, coming up on 10 members of the association. And so at the moment, we're small enough to kind of do a lot of our own, you know, regular meetings and voting all within the, the context of that group. Uh, as as the group expands, the association obviously has the, the capacity to have uh, a much more restricted executive management board. And if you like, I fulfill the role of the secretary on that board, which doesn't sound very glamorous. But my responsibilities are, if you like, the enforcement of the articles and making sure we are constitutionally correct and any formal communications on behalf of uh, the association, that type of thing. So basically, I'm the administration Nazi in the background. Okay. Are you allowed to use the word Nazi these days? I don't know. I never know if that's... I I wouldn't care at all. (laughs) (laughs) Totally, it's politically, you know, like not entirely correct, but, you know, I don't care about those things. It has its own definition these days beyond beyond the historical one. Yeah, exactly. So, 
Okay, so that sounds so quite I, I am probably well positioned to talk about the fork and legalities of the fork. And certainly it's something I looked into in intimate detail before becoming a member of uh, the Lucy Association. And I was uh, one of the, the sort of principal people responsible for formal responses so far from, from Lucy Association with respect to the fork and obviously the keynote at, uh, at Dev Objective. So let's talk about the detail. So maybe we start with a quick discussion about why did the fork happen in the first place? Um, because, I mean, there was RILO and there was like the RILO code base and like just three or four years ago, um, it was announced that the RILO company took over, you know, that money would be invested into RILO. And then at some point, the RILO project stalled you know, last year and all of a sudden there was a Lucy fork. Um, is that kind of the, you know, the, the right description of what happened? I mean, that, that it's all kind of intimately related. So, you know, this the, the so-called legal issues of which, you know, hopefully I can uh, show you that there are none. But um, it's that. The, the other aspect of it is it seems like it might have been a sudden thing, but it's not. I mean, in essence, to give you a sense of my own background in the whole community side of things, we were, you know, big supporters of Adobe in the very, very beginning and were incredibly loyal to the whole Adobe Cold Fusion plan. We did not move to Rilo in a hurry and we took our you know our time to make that decision. So around about 2011, 2012, we finally did our first major you know, release uh, of a project on Rilo. It was the Australian Olympic Committee website for the London 2012 Games. And since that point onwards, we pretty much decided that we would uh, start migrating everything across to, to Rilo. And at the same time, we wanted to become much more involved in that, we wanted to back that community in a, in a bigger way. We were a little bit late to form part of the Rilo company, although that's certainly something that we did. Um, we, and uh, eventually became a premium partner for Rilo in Asia Pacific. So, you know, we were part, supposedly part of that inner circle and, uh, you know, a big, big supporter of the whole, you know, Rilo movement. Now, the, the real problem is that internally within the Rilo company, there's a series of you know, disagreements with respect to the way forward. And in essence, the shareholders of that business have been in a deadlock for a, a very significant period of time and probably a much longer period of time they realise. So we're six months into the Lucy Fork, but probably 18 months ago, was likely the kind of time frame that you're talking about, you know, a kind of a complete deadlock between shareholders. And so you're looking at a whole year where there was no fork, there was every effort made to, to come to a consensus internally within the RILO company as to a way forward. And uh, that consensus obviously, you know, was never made. And the fork eventuated. And you can see that, I guess, from the, from the outside a little bit. If you look at the code base itself, kind of went into a complete paralysis. I mean, the, a lot of people don't realize that Rilo 4.2 was released in the December 20 to 2013 timeframe. Wow. And there were no significant releases since that time. So obviously, there was a duty of care to continue patching 4.2. And that was done all the way up until December of, of last year, I believe. 
and then obviously the Lucy Fork in, in January, the suddenly accelerated development again with the release of um, Lucy 4.5, which is a, just a natural successor, if you like, in, a, in an um, administrative and operational sense to the 4.2 release. Okay. And also, and also though, obviously, new, new work and the, the new sort of Lucy Next Generation product. So when we look at the fork specifically, um, who was driving the fork? Did the Lucy Association exist at that time? Or was it basically just like the core developers, Misha and Egal, and maybe a few other people forking it and then going from there, starting the Lucy Association around that fork? Um, I, I wasn't involved in the initial fork, and I think that initial fork was done uh, from memory out of uh, out of Vietnam, actually, from the, the Razia group. Uh, which obviously there, there's an, an affiliation and association there from uh, you know some of the people within the Rilo Technology Company, mm-hmm. but the I guess I haven't actually asked that question directly. I think a lot of people don't know that Misha actually left the whole group, resigned as a uh, as an employee last year. And okay. so, oh, you know, his in, okay. his involvement as an employee had ended in December of uh, of twenty fifth of twenty fourteen. Right. Um, as far as I'm aware, it may have been slightly earlier than that, or it, it may have been um, you know around about that time frame at any rate. And so, Lucy Association was formed in January, and obviously, um, I would imagine people have been thinking about options for uh, moving forward with respect to the code base for some time because things look. Haven't moved on for you know a period of of twelve months at this stage before the fork. Yeah, I so, guess. Yeah, I don't know what's I don't know what's directly in people's minds, but I'm sure there were a lot of different options that were considered. With you know, the most ideal option, I have to say, would have been just Rilo continued. You know, people could come to an agreement and actually move forward, but that was not possible, so they had to do a fork and. Yeah. I think that, you know that's a bit in, in the keynote. I, I put it this way: I said that uh, it's it's not an act of bastardry in any way. Do you know what I mean? It's not like somebody's going in there and trying to steal code or steal a community or anything like steal. I don't mean in the legal sense. I mean in the kind of moral sense. Yeah. And uh, it's not some sort of Machiavellian plot where this has been, you know, a scheme that's been ongoing for a, for a long time and suddenly all the kind of people fell into place. Nothing like that at all. It's really a rescue mission for the code base because it had effectively you know, stopped its, its, uh, its ongoing development and also a change in the, the custodianship of, um, of that, that code base and its community. And I think a lot of thought went into what sort of custodian it should be. Should it be a commercial entity? And the answer was no. It should be a not-for-profit group, and it should be a group that people can actively participate in and that each participant has equal rights. Um, sorry, that's a, we're a dog-friendly office here, but the dogs are, are fighting. Oh, fighting okay. dog-friendly <laughs> office. Sorry, I've got to pull that one out a second ago. Okay, so, so that's... I, okay, that's so, uh, John? That makes that yeah. makes a lot of sense to me. Basically, you know, the the code base has stalled. There was no active development. There was clearly like um, conflict in terms of you know internally at at the Rilo company how to proceed. Um, so Lucy is a rescue mission. That's fine. What that brings up then is like, do we all agree that the Lucy 4.5 fork? Is perfectly legal. There's no, there shouldn't any be any discussion about that, right? Because Lucy or Rilo 4.2 was LGPL and is still LGPL. That yes. means anyone can fork it. 
can start a thing, whatever they want to call it, Kai.6.0, I don't know, and that's perfectly fine, right? We have no disagreement on that topic. My interest what, lies in the... What, go on. Go, go, go. I was going to say, say what, Mark, what Mark alluded to in the last podcast, uh, you know, and you had a, a long kind of exposition on uh, what you thought might be going on behind the scenes and so on. It's certainly a, it's a good and a fair educated guess based on, you know, the certain kind of uh, set of criteria or bullet point information, if you like, from the the blog post, I'll call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. That might have been something that somebody could have reasonably kind of argued. The, the problem is that much of the basis of that uh, of that blog post is is completely factually inaccurate, and so the kind of conclusions that you come to just are, are completely wrong, effectively. So an uninformed <laughs> set of conclusions. <laughs> did I, did I okay. say that politely? It didn't sound no, no, as did, politely. Did, as did, as did, as did. That was very well put. That was very well put. No, let's, okay. No, no, no. Let's, all right. So let's let's break it down for a second here because I think there's there's a couple of factors in this. One one is LGPL. So Jeff, you've obviously gone into great detail of what LGPL means. What's like the brand, the the the, the thirty thousand foot view of what LGPL means when you have code? I'm I'm reasonably familiar with GPL as a license because it you know it's that sort of viral licenses that attaches to anything, so anything that attaches to it needs to be open source. How is LGPL different? How does that work? So LGPL effectively contains the code base, um, so that it doesn't infect outside of that. Specific yep. code base. So, in other words, if it's uh, a let's let's talk about two different things: early binding and late binding. So, if it's early binding in the in respect LGPL project, so in other words, for example, uh, if you have to compile it to get to that particular point, or the functionality has to be compiled to get to that particular point. It has to be LGPL. There's no possible alternative options. Very similar to the GPL in that respect. However, yep. if it's late binding, like it's uh, you know a um, an extension which is loaded after the fact or downloaded on the fly and, and compiled on the fly, that type of thing, then yep. it doesn't have to fall within or it, it doesn't have to fall within that LG, LGPL right. license. Right. So that's the helicopter view in terms of its difference from the GPL. The difference from the GPL, and and as a consequence, LGPL is um, it's it's it's, it's less common these days, but it was a common way of essentially allowing something to play well with commercial products. So, in other words, you could embed an LGPL um, binary into some other commercial product. You know, I mean, things Adobe Cold Fusion is a classic example. I mean, there is a commercial product that stands on the back of, you know, a whole heap of open source projects to which it doesn't and by the same contribute token, you a great do deal anymore. Plugins. But yes, you could do commercial plugins. You could as well. do commercial plugins. That'd be fine. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Okay, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So, so the theory being here is that um, any code that would have been written for either Rilo or now Lucy at any point in time, as soon as it was written for that platform to be part of that platform, it would immediately become open source and part of LGPL. Okay, correct. Now there's one there's one exception to that, and this is this is something that you know could could be part of a you know a chip in the armor if you like. The exception to that is if person holds the complete copyright on the code base or at least can marshal um, permissions for the complete copyright in the code base, you could re-release the entire code base under an alternative license. 
Yeah. Right. So you could re-release the whole thing under a commercial license. And this is often the case uh, typically with um, dual commercial GPL licenses. It's less, it's less often done with LGPL because there's no compulsion, if you like. But in a classic kind of GPL style environment, you'd have the GPL license for open source and a paid commercial license, which freed you from the obligations of the GPL. There's no, not really the same obligations. Far Cry is exactly the same as that. Yeah. But MySQL, things like that, that same sort of, um, the same sort of model. Exactly the same sort of model. So the Rilo, the Rilo company, and let's be specific about what we're talking about. That's TRC. The Rilo company is kind of an umbrella group. It's really just a shell that has other companies as shareholders that exist within it and collaboratively those those companies form the Rilo company, if you like. So it, if it had the capacity to do so, could have re-released everything as a completely separate license, a commercial license. However, the problem for them is there's been no effort at all to control the copyright of the contributions that have been made. And so there are few of any contributor license agreements in place. Yes, that's what I was going to ask. There's no contributor license agreements and it's just a bit For example, Misha or Egal, both of those two guys who have, if you like, formed a very significant part of the uh, the overall code base have never signed such an agreement. So, and then if you go to the wider audience of people who made smaller contributions, uh, you have a similar kind of thing. So there wasn't a very, well, there was, there was, let's face it, there was next to no effort at all to enforce any sort of <laughs> contributor license agreement. Now, that's right. not necessarily a bad thing, okay? So these days, it's very common to have a contributor license agreement in place because as a custodian of the code base, you may want to be able to change the license. So for example, you might, the, the current Lucian and Rilo open source code bases are on LGPL 2.1. You might want to, for whatever reason, um, change that license to LGPL 3. Yeah, so it's not necessarily to release a commercial license, it's to release an alternative license. Yep. And um, there'd be a lot of work, there'd be a lot of work, I suspect, administratively to try and get to that point. And certainly, in term, one of the, the kind of principal sticking points uh, was whether there should be a commercialization of the underlying server code base. Uh, and, you know, that's been blocked. And so I think it is it is effectively impossible for anybody to get the agreement, I suspect, of the existing copyright holders to release a commercial-only license of the code base as it stands. And we talk about a, the Rilo code base at this point, right? So this is, this is yeah, Rilo or the Lucy Fork. That's the same for both because they both have the same kind of root. But yes. Okay. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, yep, you could have relicensed the code base under Rilo and pretended that there was a commercial version, but that is not actually a practical reality. It's it's an given the people involved an impossibility. So let's have that as a, a moot point. There's no way that there could have been a commercial license released, at least in in uh, mine and, and many others' opinion. And uh, I think that practically is, um, you know, it's easy to kind of bear out that argument. The only other thing is now, okay, what sort of commercialization could you have had of the open source LGPA license? And that's certainly something that's worth discussing. So that's 4.5. I would say <laughs> 4.5 loose is, is well and clear. The real, and I think even in the, the blog post, as I'll put it, 
uh, the contention is not with the 4.5 release, it's with what is um, expected to be released in the 5.0 or next generation um, Lucy server product. Yeah, uh, you'd agree with me? I would agree with you. I think the blog post is kind of hiding that fact a little bit. So if you read it and you don't know many of the details, they try to leave the impression, probably on purpose, that it's about Lucy as a general. But I would agree they are their issue is Lucy five and the release of that work as um, as an open source license. I think. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think the cool. contention that I was taking away was very much that um, the work that was done, basically the gap between where Rilo finishes and the new stuff that Lucy has, was done while still under some IP restrictions that were placed upon people who were primary shareholders or primary people within the company of the Rilo Corporation. And that's where I think it gets really interesting because while that, that – and I'm sure you'll have topics to say about whether or not that's true or not, that's fine. But I think there's also interesting discussion there to say whether commercial agreements uh, supersede or come in the way of LGPL agreements on code itself and whether there's an IP address interesting issue – an IP issue there or not. They are all very – interesting issues and but good thing is that none of them find this case totally ruins my whole fun doesn't it <laughs> so, let, so let's let if you if you were fortunate enough to have copied the github repo in the middle of last year for example and this is the rilo repo yeah you would have seen that there were two additional branches on that repo. There was the develop branch and also the 4.3 branch, funnily enough. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And all efforts for Lucy, sorry, Rilo 5.0 and also the, the kind of future maintenance branches of um, the uh, Rilo 4.3 product were being committed to that repo. Oh, so it's right, it's right there, it's right there in the open. It's right there in the open. Now, the, yep. the, the complication, the complication is that when the whole kind of, you know, kit and dice became dysfunctional, there was the decision to prune away the develop branch and prune away the 4.3 branch and only leave the 4.2 branch for maintenance because no one could afford the time to keep the other two branches in sync with the right. 4.2 release and all the development had ceased on those two branches. So if you could back, and I'm sure people have a copy of that repo from that time, uh, you could clearly see, and I'm, I'm almost, I haven't asked, but I'm almost positive, you know, a gal or, or Misha or something like that would be able to produce Somebody the repo. Have, you can clearly, you clearly see, yeah, I mean, it's, Sorry, I, Brad, I don't I know. That, I, I say that with something. love. I said that with love. It's not something you'd want to hide because it's been out there in the, you know, in the public domain for, for yep. months, even years in some instances. So it's not something you can really kind of hide. And I think it, it just totally pieboshes any notion that, that there was some kind of secret development secret going on that was going to be, yeah, that was going to be commercialized in some way. That development was being, as it is now, routinely committed to the public repo, as you'd expect. I mean, the point keeping a repo offline for, do you know what I mean? It just doesn't make sense. Yep. That's the way business was normally being done. That's the way business was done. However, having said all of that, so that, that work that was the extension of to become 5.0 and so on, when they forked to 4.2 uh, to become the first kind of Lucy, 
you're starting at 4.2 and at least because I think the last commit to the develop branch is probably around about can you imagine I mean we're talking we haven't been single commit to the develop branch for the future of the mainline code base since June of 2015 sorry 2014 so that's over six months before the fork um, when you fork and you go back to 4.2 as your most base even if you even if you're going to be cutting and pasting code into that brain and cherry picking commits into that uh, into that branch chances are you're going to rewrite half of that stuff anyway I don't think yeah, okay. I'm sure so basically what you're also saying is you're taking yeah, LGPL saying, code from existing public domain and putting it into further LGPL code and then modifying it so that it is very different yeah. or possibly different from its original inception and, anyway. So you've got layers and layers and layers of LGPL. Exactly. And and the fact is, it's it's all there. And the thing that made me laugh so much about the kind of the blog post was, you know, there's this intellectual property. It's like, it's an open code base, mate. You point to the intellectual property that is in violation, and we will look at it very seriously. We take that sort of thing extremely seriously. If there's a commit or a series of commits that appear to be in violation, we will immediately consider those commits. The fact is, there's been no communication as to what commits or even what functionality might represent any sort of violation of any kind. And note again that all of this is early binding. It's not like these are random extensions that just yep. drop in. They're early binding. couldn't really be part of any other licensing model at all. That's... So it wouldn't surprise you that we haven't had any informal communication through through uh, Bitbucket and soon to be actually moving to, back to, to GitHub instantly. That's a bit of advance notice for anybody out there. The, um, <laughs> but uh, there's, been, there's been no, you know, no questioning of any of those pull requests or commits or anything else. And you know how those systems work. You could simply go in, identify the line of code, and express exactly what your thoughts were in that particular in that, in that mm. way. But perhaps it would perhaps it would surprise you to know that there hasn't been any communication, formal or informal, between the Lucy Association of Switzerland and the RILO company, or 4F, or between those entities and any member of the Lucy Association. So I think one thing we need to clearly express as well is it's not the RILO company that appears to have an issue with this whole situation. It's mainly that one shareholder, right? Like Because they are apparently, and from what I've seen myself at CF Objective, there are other shareholders of the Rilo company who don't seem to have an issue with this fork at all. Yeah, I think um, the best the, the thing to look at is is that they mention themselves being the majority shareholder as though that has some significance. Yeah. So while they are the majority equity holder, they do not hold the majority of votes. Oh, okay. Is that, is Interesting. That, mm -hmm. You see what I mean? Interesting. Yeah. So okay. they they can be they can effectively be blocked by other shareholders, and that's why you're sitting in this kind of complete paralysis for so long. And you know, one of the people who is a part of the TRC or was at least part of the TRC board of directors was uh, O'Keefe from Blue River, the, the guys, and he's emphatically stated in the uh, in the mailing list that. Um, now they they think it's completely inappropriate behaviour. It's not their opinion, and uh, it, it's something that they object to very strongly with respect to, you know, the way they've behaved. So the um, 
I can't put it any cle- cleaner than that. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a dispute between shareholders. It's nothing to do with loose association at all. It's a completely free and clear fork of the underlying code base. And if, and I think this is highly improbable, because there's nothing there to fight over. Do you know what I mean? The community's moved on. It's. I think we keep talking about us and them like there's, you know, there's some poor buggers left behind in the Rilo company that had a community and it's gone. Anybody who had anything to do with Rilo at all has already moved to the Lucy um, yes, fork. I would totally so agree there's with no, that. There's, I don't think there's any any. I don't think there's any chance of there being another release of Rilo. You, you never know. It's possible. But it would immediately be compared with the Lucy code. And I just, you know, I just think it's, it's completely and utterly unlikely. Uh, if there's going to be any, any legal action has been, been alluded to, you know, as I say, I'm the secretary of the association. There's been absolutely no correspondence. I mean, normally these things, you, you try and go through some sort of arbitration or whatever. There's been nothing. Absolutely. When I say no, no communication at all, nothing, not a thing. So it's just posturing. It's all it is. It sounds like to me bad blood, and uh, you know it's 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 well timed just before Dev Objective, just as you know Lucy Association is platinum sponsors of that conference, et cetera, et cetera. And it's certainly it's certainly done damage in terms of uh, you know the perception. Is there potentially a problem? But you know, in the same in the same breath, it's kind of backfired because there's been a huge amount of discussion about it, and I suspect that the Lucy Fork has has had a very very swift migration from you know what was once a very strong brand, the Rilo brand, at least in the Confusion community, to the Lucy brand, which is uh, probably not quite as strong, but um, getting there in terms of recognition. Okay, I think the only extra layer you could probably put on top of any of that is whether or not people who were employed by Rilo in like an actual commercial sense, whether they'll have personal issues with the Rilo company. Sure. I, they might, they may get sued, but obviously that has no impact on the Lucy company as a whole. And we really can't speak to individuals because we don't know what the agreements were and whatnot like that. Yeah. You, you know, look, let me put it. Sorry, go on. Sorry, go, guy. I was going to say, let me, let me put it to you this way. You guys have known me for a very long time, and as, as you can have complex contracts and all the rest of it, but yep. I believe in a few simple things, you know, that honor, integrity, these old-fashioned kind of concepts, Crazy. and that your word is your bond. You know, your word is your bond, you make a statement, you shake hands, and that's the kind of deal that you're supposed to be going by. So that, I'm old school in that regard. I do know some of the, the, the behind-the-scenes goings-on, and if you want to know where I think the moral authority lies in this particular argument, you know where I've put my cards. I'm That's happy to put my name behind the Lucy Association, put my company behind it, put our money behind it. We are, you know, well and truly on board, and I absolutely think it's the right decision. Fair enough. I can get behind that. Sounds reasonable. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. I have an interesting question that comes out of that particular discussion about like you know employment contracts and you know like how do individuals behave and i don't want to talk about that in the sense of rilo or lucy but in a more generic sense like let's say you had an open source project that you know has been forked in the same way as lucy has from rilo right <laughs> this is a terrible no. hypothetical no it, it doesn't matter it doesn't really matter what it is you know i'm just wondering would potential employment I don't know, contracts go above any 
LGPL or GPL licensing could they, requirements? Could they? could they? I and I just don't just don't know. And it probably depends on the legal system of the particular country you're looking at. But I mean, what's your opinion on that? I mean, do they are they more important than a software license, or is a software license more important? I I just don't know. I wouldn't know what to where to even start looking into that. The, the problem is much more complex than that, actually. Normally, if you're a commercial, for example, Demon, we have employment contracts, and part of that employment contract is to sign away the intellectual property that you might be working on, not just in, not just in uh, office time, but outside of office time. We, we obviously have opportunities for people to ask for an exemption for that. But the reason that it's kind of all-encompassing is because it's very hard to segregate between the thing that you might be doing by day and the things that you might be doing by night. Mm-hmm. That might be going on there. The, the reason why we need them is not we don't have really a commercial product that we're selling, but we do have clients that have you know, specifically private commercial and confidence work that they're doing, and we need to guarantee to them that we're their intellectual property in the same way in that kind of chain. You know, we we sign an agreement that's contract between our company and that we can enforce our side of the agreement because we have employment contracts with our employees around that intellectual property. Now, the, the problem for a company that you're dealing with is using open source software in the solution that they have, then that's separate. You know, if I'm, I'm Demon working for customer XYZ, they allow us to use an open source library. If we make changes to that library, we are compelled effectively to contribute those changes in whatever way the license terms would dictate, and the client has to accept that. Otherwise, their solution is in in violation of the open source license, and they can't use the library anyway. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's a more complicated kind of daisy chain of, of events. Now, the fact that we do that with our employees is... Is uh, I think it's fairly standard practice, but it's not universal practice, that is for sure. And uh, by that, I allude to the fact that perhaps that wasn't the practice in uh, you know other companies that um, I can't really speak to. Yeah, that, that's fine. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to go in that direction with that question yeah. anyway. That's, that's what, actually a really interesting whole thing because sure. Google does yeah. similar stuff as well. So what I'm wondering then is, yeah. like in, in yeah. your specific case, Jeff, if let's say one of your employees makes a contribution to Lucy, right? In some way in the code base. Um, and basically Demon kind of owns the intellectual property of, of that contribution. Does it pretty much kind of exempt the Lucy association from dealing with that individual when it comes to potentially releasing a, a commercial license or doing a license change? Would they then have to deal with you guys from a company point of view? Well, I suppose it depends on how you well, go through your exemptions, it, doesn't it? Yeah. Do you do your exemptions sure. so yeah. that you're, you've yeah. got a license that's copyrighted to Damon, or do you let people have their own copyright, or do you let them have either or, which some companies do as well? It becomes very complicated, and that's why yeah, you does. need a contributor license agreement in place, yeah. because that clarifies that for you. You effectively grant the custodian permission to do what they need to do, in you know to the, the greater good, uh, rather than go through this horrendously complex environment. I mean, it's it's complicated because let's say, and a more targeted example would be, let's say we had a special algorithm for doing I don't know some sort of search thing, yeah, and we thought it was pretty it was pretty 
amazing. We were looking at patenting it and, you know, we had all kind of options on the table and one of our employees decided to contribute it, let's say by accident, to uh, an open source code base as, as part of a function. Let's say it's CF search magic or something like that. Yeah. What do we what do we do then? I mean, it's out there now. I mean, I think that the normal course would we would have redress to go to that open source community and say they're in violation of our intellectual property, which they would be, and their reaction would be to remove it from their code base so they're not in violation of the intellectual property. And that would be the standard response. I mean, it'd be unfortunate now that it's public. I'm now trying to fight this kind of you know, beast genie that's got out of the bottle type of thing. But be the normal way of doing things. Then you've also got to deal with your employee too, who's potentially leaked your IP. Correct. Yeah. And if it was an accident, it might have been an accident or deliberate. Yeah, exactly right. Still can get people fired. You need to have some get people fired. We worse if it was one of our customers' specific pieces of intellectual property that was released. You know that that type of thing. So yeah, you do need to be conscious of that. But again, it's. It's um, if your intent is to write an open source product, then uh, you know the, these are not issues that we're talking about. This is leaking from commercial products into open source products, and this is not the case. Certainly not the case with Lucy. It's very clear cut. Yeah. Now I find this stuff really interesting because I, I think um, I think my eyes got opened a little joining Google in that they have similar things where it's basically anything I any code I write is the intellectual property of Google and they've got exemptions and stuff like that and different ways of doing it and the first response I had to that is oh my god that's crazy like I love this company but that seems like it's a you know yeah, crazy but when you right. start when we've, you we've start had, yeah go on it's everything you do you do a garage band MIDI loop yeah they own it yeah. Do you know? Um, the, do you know what I'm saying? And, and you could ask. We've had we've had employees ask for exemptions that they, you know, their musician, their music. Fine, we're happy to to provide yep. that exemption. That's not what we do, but it does fall under the the context of that clause. No, it totally does. But yeah, so, when you start yeah. digging into like why they do that and how much trouble you can get in if you don't. If you really start to realize that the open yeah. source movement is a bit of the wild west in the legal terms and just how many things could potentially go wrong when you've got people just going, I'm just going to, you know, I work at a company, but I just put whatever I want on open source and it doesn't really matter. And it becomes, it become, it can become very messy very, very quickly. So having procedures for that sort of stuff is, is, is actually very important a lot of the time. Interesting. Coming back to, um, Lucie and Rylaw, it was your first Deaf objective, Jeff, wasn't it? You attended? It's, it's, it certainly was my first, it wasn't my first visit to Minnesota, I should say, but it was certainly my first visit to Minneapolis. Have you, have you been to Minnesota before, like for private trips or like was it a work trip or another conference? Oh, we, uh, one of, one of our clients in the, uh, in the heyday was, um, the Mayo Clinic up in Rochester, Minnesota. Oh, okay. I remember that you had Mayo Clinic as your client. Yep. Interesting. So okay. we, we used to visit them on occasion. And so uh, pretty wild and woolly up there, but um, no, very, you know, very interesting place, uh, Rochester for sure. Uh, Minneapolis, I don't think I actually got to see it. I think Dev Objective in this kind of the Mall of America, which is sort of bizarre, huge cube. It's like the movie, the cube. you know, you go inside, you don't know what's going to happen. In the middle of it, it's uh, still 
roller coasters and it's a pretty kind of you know win on american culture it, it's it's weird eh? because i think the only time we actually went outside was when we walked from mall of america to that other hotel for into the box wasn't it that's right that was and the, that was my one moment in three days yeah. yeah and the whole whole other time we've basically spent inside mall of america in some wider context hotels and whatever restaurants and stuff Having said that, it was uh, it was a uh, it was a good conference. I liked it. Actually, I don't know whether it was the conference itself or just the people. That's that's something that always uh, you know makes or breaks a conference. I think is the people that you meet. But I went specifically to meet the other members of the Lucius Association Switzerland. That was my you know primary reason for going because I've been communicating with these people and seeing them face to face. I wanted to see what lunatics I was dealing with, and uh, it was really wonderful. It was. Um, it's kind of like back in the old days of, you know, Lair when back in the 90s when everything was, everything was possible and everybody was trying, was trying something. So I, I liked it. It was good. Yeah, I think it's a very nice conference. I really enjoy going there every year. And I think actually the the venue that they have now with Mall of America, the, the hotel in particular, is a really nice place to stay. Um, I think in past years it was in downtown Minneapolis or in downtown yeah, St. Paul. And I'm not quite sure if, you know, if that was, right. Did the job. was you know, good or bad or better or worse or whatever. But, you know, I've, I've only been to the ones at Mall of America and I really enjoy every year. Yeah, it was good. I got to see Mad Max too, which is good in a, one of these thunder seats. Oh, that yeah. That, <laughs> I'm, I have to say, I'm not a fan of the movie, actually. I would probably still, even after a few weeks have passed, I would still rate it with something like 3 out of 10 on IMDb or something like that. I think it's a really bad movie. Yeah, I think in the words of Morton Joe, I find your review mediocre. <laughs> have you seen the movie, Mark? No, I have not. It's on my list of things to do. Yeah, don't, I've been oh, moving that, countries. That a, I've been just moving countries. That was countries. a spoiler. That was a spoiler. <laughs> oh, okay. I think I'll be alright. Can I just say it's it, it's a masterpiece of its genre. It is there we truly. Go. So that's a that's what film. I expected. So if yeah. you if you liked Mad Max in the context of Mad Max, it's it's a masterpiece. Truly amazing. Maybe that's the first problem that you know I'm. Probably not a big fan of this genre in the first place, and that surely contributed to my, to me being unimpressed by that movie. But the seats were interesting. I have to agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was a good way to round out the conference, and uh, that was good. I was so excited to talk about you know, you know the future of not just Lucy, do you know what I mean, but the future of CFML. I mean, when I said earlier, it rocks. I love it. It's still the language we choose to work with. We've got a lot of legacy stuff that's sitting inside that. But um, we work with other languages, but it's the choice that we make. We like it. We're productive with it. It's fun. It's still it's still something that we enjoy doing. So uh, after all these years, the only thing that's a bit of a problem is it's, it's getting that old in the tooth, you know, and it's a bit of a revitalization. And that's, that's really what Lucy 5 and Next Year Lucy server is all about. I don't think Adobe is going to do it for us. We have to do it ourselves. I would fully agree. Um, I think my main issue with ColdFusion or CFML as a platform is that 
way too many people are still using Adobe Confusion and rely on Adobe to drive this thing. And they have proven over the last really 10 years nearly that they're not. They're not interested. It, for Adobe, it's just a different kind of business. It's taking it over, selling upgrade licenses to the new version to keep people keep, keep people people going. And it's <laughs> sorry for keep that. People, and, keep people. Yeah, it's fine, Mark. We all <laughs> we all heard that. <laughs> I, you know, I wasn't sure everyone heard that it was keep people. I, I wasn't sure. That no, it's fine. That. Okay. So okay. anyway, you know, it's basically there's no innovation, or the innovation is like inconsistent or in the wrong place, and that's why Lucy and Rilo before are kind of really interesting, I think. And I have to agree, you know, from a pure technology point of view, the the markup language in combination with the script language, if you use it in the right way for the proper problems, it's a very good toolkit. And I know Mark will disagree with that probably, but I'm not necessarily. It is. Right tool for the right job. I'm not gonna say yeah. anything else. That was yeah, kind of big, don't get me wrong. It's, 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 Mark's been, and he's he he's been, you know, rightfully dismissive in some areas. It's a bit crusty, and it needs it needs a facelift. And certainly, that's what we're planning to do. I mean, it's different to other open source Cold Fusion code bases like OpenBD, for example, which has gone. It, it's kind of fractured and gone on its own path. You know, it's got its own user base, and they do what they do. Whereas Lucy's quite different. It's the compatibility with Adobe Cold Fusion is, you know, a key priority of the movement that we have. But in order for us to be able to move the language forward, we need to divide that into two different dialects. So there will be a CFML dialect, which will continue to provide an improving, ever improving compatibility with the Adobe Cold Fusion um, way of doing CFML. And separate to that will be the Lucy language, which is effectively what we hope to be something extremely familiar to anybody who's already done Cold Fusion and also appealing to anybody who's looking at scripting in the JVM. And so this could it's still be early days. Another podcast. Still early days. But I'm curious yeah, to know be. who's driving like the design of that language. Where is that coming from? Is it more of a design by committee? Is there one head thought leader? How's that language getting formed? Well, there is a forum the- called Lucy Lang, where a lot of discussions are currently being being had on those Hash- topics. Hash- or hashed out, yeah. Correct. I think obviously, you know, one of the main drivers behind a lot of the technological implementations is still Misha. But there are a lot of people in that particular Lucy Lang forum that contribute their opinion and, you know, provide feedback on anything that Misha puts up there for consideration or, you know, or basically, you know, asking so questions is Misha, like, how, is how should Misha we do like that? the gatekeeper? Or, I don't know, I'm basically I'm wondering how does it stop becoming basically a hodgepodge of everyone's favorite language features pushed into one big ball of mess? Like, is there a process? How do, how do features get, like, chosen? Or is yeah, it still so very new? And how does that work? Because that's really interesting, too, it's me. So I, I... The first thing I would say is that it's it's still very new. And the initial approach we take what is the existing CFML dialect and to apply those things which are obvious best practice improvements with respect to you know, the kind of way in which let's say variables are cascaded just simple things like uh, you know the default 
uh, for a, a variable that's inside a function should be local to the function. You know, th- these sorts of things just well, either you know, very poor design decisions in CFML or just mistakes, outright mistakes. So a lot of that stuff is already possible in, uh, you know, standard Lucy 4.5 by going into the admin and tweaking a whole heap of things. You know, you can change the way in which those uh, those directives are in place. The problem with that, you know, that's compatibility breaking straight off. Did we lose Jeff? I don't know. He's been breaking in and out. He has. <laughs> But now he's gone completely. All right, so oh, we just continue. We just continue recording and see if he is coming back at any time soon. I guess. Back. Oh, that's sad. Uh, I'll just chat to him quickly. Should we talk about some other things in the meantime? All right. Well, I was at I/O recently. So that was really? Fun. Yes. Why don't you tell me about I.O., some, you know, b- main brief facts, at least. You know what? I think my favorite thing out of I.O., out of anything, is Google Photos. It's awesome. Really? Do you play with it at all? It is so good. So, um, first of all... I saw on. the keynote. I saw some demos in the keynote. And um, I was actually at one of the Google I.O. extended events here in oh, Wellington. Yeah, yep, yep. And so we watched some some videos, and I was actually sitting next to a friend of mine who had the new photos, and he showed it to me on his phone. And it looked kind of nice, but I didn't think it was groundbreaking when I looked it's at so it. It's so awesome. It's so awesome. Really? So, so there's, there's, a few, there's a few layers to this, one of which is unlimited storage for your photos. So unless you want, like, raw storage or, like, Photoshop storage, which they have as well for, like, paid paid tiers, you can get, I think, 10 gigs free, and then you can pay for it. Um, you basically just like, if you're just like a regular Joe Blow like I am who just takes photos and does stuff, you throw them up on there and it syncs automatically and it, you're never going to f- fill up the space in your phone and you don't pay for it. So it's a bit like iCloud on iOS with photo upload automatically enabled and pushing your photos yep. into the cloud. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty awesome. Um, I think you need to add Jeff back in. I can't do it. Um, okay. But the the being able to do so that's cool. Um, but the the things that I really like is well, first of all the scrolling and being able to like zoom in and out of dates and stuff like that. That's awesome. But it's the it's the Google AI over the top that's awesome that makes me go. I can type in dog, and it brings me up a dog, all the pictures of my dog, or it goes and it groups everyone's face that is the same together. So like if I want to go see all the pictures of my wife, I go into search and there's pictures already sorted of my wife. I just click on her and it shows me all of those. Um, okay. To the point that it actually picked up the pictures of her that it was in a there was a it was actually photos of her in a sign that had a photo of her with her face in it. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then what it also does is it goes through your photos and it goes, oh, these photos together would make a really great panorama, and it sends it to you, and goes, this would work really well as a panorama. Do you want to keep it? Or this would work really well as an animation. Would you like to have it? Um, and you can build mosaics, do all that sort of stuff. So there's also that side of it as, as well. So it, it's it's just really handy. So now I just throw whatever I want at it. I've thrown all my photos at it, and it's like, yeah, here's like an animation of your dog because. Or it said to me the other day, actually it was really awesome, and I had to say no because I didn't have all my photos in there, and I'm, I'm hoping it does it again. Where I went on a trip, you know, the last couple of years, uh, last year to Europe and Israel and um, Germany and Poland and all that sort of space, and it it put together like a trip slideshow for me like just for me oh cool okay 
it just knew. It was like, oh, you obviously went away because I'm looking at the geotags. You're not normally there. Here you go. And I was like, and that was really cool. Actually, yeah, I didn't get to keep it. I really want one of them. But um, you can set some of that stuff up. So it's, I just think it's, it's really neat. Um, and so now I'm just throwing my photos at it. And like, how many times have you seen people who are like, I have like 3,000 photos or 15,000 photos, and I just don't have time to tag and sort them all. Not just going to do that. So just throw them at Google, let them worry about it, and then take it from there. It makes life really, really simple. Okay. So that was cool. that was that was my big thing. I really like Google Photos. Um, there was some other stuff. There's like Internet of Things stuff with this an Android thing for that. It's so not my area of purview. So whatever. Um, the other thing I quite liked is Polymer went 1.0, which is kind okay. of cool. That's mm-hmm. a whole front end J- JavaScript side of things. Um, I actually liked a lot of the announcements about um, Android M. That's kind of interesting. And I watched a few sessions of, about Android M um, after I.O. was actually on last week. Um, and that's kind of nice. It seems to be a nice evolvement of, of the Android operating system, you know, like like, like Lollipop in nicer and then a bit better. Yeah, I don't know. I really didn't pay any attention to that, I have to be honest. <laughs> Like Android six most uh, likely. L. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um whatever M is gonna whatever M is gonna stand for, we don't really know that yet. But you know, it looks like that's on the right way, really. Hello. <gasps> Just that. Sorry. I don't know what happened there. I think my uh my Wi Fi dropped dead, so I've just plugged in the Ethernet. Yeah, your connection became worse oh, and worse. so much better now. And now it's I like was actually gonna, I was actually going to mention it before the call to say plug in your Ethernet, and uh, then I didn't, and I regretted it. Damn it. You're telling me I was a bit choppy before, and now I'm like were, super fast. Now you're just super clean. Yeah. Yep. Damn you. We'll have to start all over again. Oh, no. Uh, no, no, no. no. no, no. I'm going to spend some time with my wife at some point soon. Um, we were just talking about <laughs> I.O. and the stuff that I liked. Um, I was talking about Google Photos because it's awesome. You should check it oh, out. Oh, uh, I love it. I've got Google Plus all the way. All my photos backed up there. No, no, no. Google Photos is now totally separate from Google Plus. They're completely oh, separate. Is it? How do yeah, I move? So oh, I'll find out. I'll look at it. Yeah, so all your, all your Google Plus stuff is in Google Photos. And the neat thing about it as well is if you want to share photos with someone that you have private, you can actually just send them a link. They don't have to be part of Google Plus. They don't have to have a Google account. None of it. You can just send them a link and be like, hey, check out these photos. If you want to delete the link later on, you can. So you have total control over it. It's really, Google Photos is awesome. The thing. Or is that What's actually that? is Google Plus actually still a thing? I don't know. Okay, because I don't know either. I'm I'm constantly for the last for the last two years wondering if I should invest in Google Plus in a way actually of setting some stuff up there and posting, or if I should just say like, oh screw it, it's I, not worth. I, it. I put my blog posts up there. That's about it. Okay. I have all my photos on Google Plus, and it's awesome, but you can't link to them, and it's got all sorts of you, deadbeat ideas about photos. You can do that now with Google Photos, and I'm mm. 99% sure that all your photos from Google Plus will automatically be in Google Photos. So if you just go to well, Google, I, there you go. You have a look. I'm there now. They're there. It's awesome. There I'm looking at it. Yeah, it's sweet. It's super sweet. I'm hooked. Search them, hooked and it's now. automatically tag stuff because it does brain magic. Machine learning, you mean? Yeah, <laughs> I call it brand okay. Um So it was cool, and I really want an Android watch because they look pretty. Yeah, that's an interesting topic, actually. Should we briefly talk about variables? Because I'm kind of totally torn between like getting an Apple Watch, getting an Android Watch, getting a Pebble, or getting nothing at all. 
I see a lot of Apple Watches in San Francisco. I see a lot of them. Is that because it's all the Google employees in the Bay Area, or is it like really because it takes off big time? It's all these people demonstrating how their Apple Watches work to those poor people who don't have them, but they don't actually <laughs> use them. They just I demo do live, them. I do live near. I know I live near a whole bunch of Apple employees because it's the Apple bus goes by my house. But um, so I know there's a lot of Apple employees around me near me. So I'm not really sure if I want a variable or if I need a variable. I mean, uh, it's, of, it's of, a, I actually think it's one of those things you have to try to find out. Like, I feel like you don't know until you have it. Yeah, that's what a few people said, basically. At the local Google I.O. event here in Wellington, I met um, two or three people who had, like, an Android watch of different brands. Yep. And they showed me a few things, particularly with Google Now. And that's kind of neat, you know, that it basically says, like, hey, you're 23 minutes away from home if you take the bus now, basically, you know, that kind of stuff. That's kind of cool. Um I just want something that's going to stop me from getting my phone out of my pocket every two seconds because I've got some notification that I probably don't care about. I have – see, that's kind of different for me because when I'm working, I have my phone on my desk anyway. I see the notification right away. Yeah, so but when it, I'm not working, I still get the notifications. But where do you have your phone? Do you have it in your pocket the whole time when you're not no, working, no, no. You're sitting on the couch or when you're, I don't know, cooking? Well, or? I, I might have it next to me. But it just becomes easier. Probably more in a social setting than anything else. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I'm not entirely convinced yet if I want one, and if so, which one I would go for, actually. Uh, I don't know how good it is, but the LG Urban has a nice... I, I like the look of that one. Yeah, I heard that from, from a few point, people, actually. Yeah. You know, if you just look at the aesthetics and the look of it, they, the Apple Watch is beautiful. From a design point of view, it's really nice, I think. Um, it's just a question like, is it there yet? You know, the Definitely. iPhone, the iPhone one wasn't a great thing to buy either in hindsight. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't have one. I can't say. What do you think, Jeff? The iPhone one was revolutionary. Well, it was, but in hindsight, did you have one and would you have bought one? I would have bought one if I could have got a hold of one. Okay. I tried but, to buy uh, one. Yeah, you like... know the, the my mother's got an Apple Watch. She bought it because like we were in there it was like an impulse buy. I think the Milanese band, the Milanese band, it's got a sort of a texture that defies <laughs> reality. It's uh, it's a fashion statement more than anything else. But she uses it. She likes the Dick Tracy thing, although you know public conversation yep. on your on your phone. But yeah, I've seen people doing that. It's, it's an accessory. It's not just a, a device. It's really a it's a fashion statement. It's you know half a dozen other things. I, I don't know. Yeah, is it there? Who knows? It's expensive. It's an expensive toy. I'd have one if I could afford it, just to have it there, sitting there. I don't wear a watch, so it'd be a new experience yeah, for me. Know. Yeah, I don't know if I'd be wearing a watch and just get really irritated by it and end up taking it off and putting it on the table next to my mobile phone, which completely defeats the purpose. I think what it would be really useful for me would be like for tracking health information and fitness because I use RunKeeper a lot. Yeah. And that would be really nice to do that with the watch and not having to use the phone all the time. Yeah. 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 I think probably I don't know. at dinner where I get in trouble for taking out my phone and having a look and seeing what's going on. Yeah. With my watch. Or, or and then that. probably still get in trouble. Yeah. You glance at your watch, Mark. <laughs> yeah. Do you need to be somewhere? No, just getting notifications from the team members. <laughs> um. 
when we lost Jeff, from an audio point of view, um, we were talking about the new features in Lucy 5. Oh, yes, that's true. So we should maybe continue and finish that off quickly. All right, let me let me give you a quick sort of rundown, because I think what we were talking about before, before I got... I don't know what point I was interrupting. I was on a roll. I was giving it a whole, this is the, uh, you know, the Lucy, what do we call it? The, the technical advisory group, this, this type of thing. So at the moment we're in a, in a phase where we're, we're trying to really catch up and get to a point where we're implementing a best practice CFML as it is today and look at taking that as a, as a kind of a foundation for, for moving the language forward. And there are all kinds of interesting discussions. Should we be talking about components anymore or should they be classes? You know, these sorts of esoteric discussions that probably don't mean a great deal at the end to most developers, but from an underlying language perspective, uh, probably quite fundamental in, in the way in which they're approached. Yeah, it, yep. matter, it matters. But as I say, for the average, I don't want to scare off those people who are, you know, CFML-esque and they don't want to know the detail. You don't have to know the detail at all. But from an engineering point of view, we want to make sure it's a foundation that we can easily evolve and, and bring in those kind of best-of-breed features from, you know, other other web technologies that um, that are out there. Mm-hmm. And in terms of um, those kind of key areas that are foundation for the next generation, I, I keep saying next generation because I don't actually know if it'll be called Lucy 5 in the end. Um, but there's still some decision as to the, the naming structure for, for major version releases. So that's, that's another thing that's under discussion. Um, but essentially, the two things that I think are really uh, cool of the JSR223 templating uh, integration so that you can use um, CFML elsewhere in other places. So we're already beginning to see the, the, the kind of inklings of this with things like command box with, uh, you know, really awesome CLI tool for Cold Fusion that invokes currently Command Box 2.0, Lucy 4.5 sitting behind the scenes. And in the future, we, we very much hope you'll be able to do, you know, full on shell like scripting just, just directly in Cold Fusion. If that was your language of choice and you wanted to do that kind of plumbing, uh, that you could with Cold Fusion. If you had uh, some other Java framework, that you could potentially use Cold Fusion as a, as a scripting language for the view, um, these sorts of things. The other very Are you uh, seeing like a Cold Fusion REPL, like an in-memory REPL for oh, Cold Fusion, so you can I think interact that's with top, your there is already a REPL. server. There is, will you say, could we be seeing it? There is a REPL already available in Command Box 2.0. So you, so can, you can like see that. into like your application scope and see what variables you have and interact with them directly and run functions you, against them and do stuff you, like that. You can do most of those things. If you want something like a web developer console in Chrome or something like that, where I you want can like a closure repo or a, or a half yeah. dozen other repos. I, 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 don't think, I don't think it's quite there yet, but it's, it's, I, I don't know. You should ask Brad. So um, I've only seen. I haven't played with a command box repo myself, but there is a repo yep. directly inside command box, and you can use it. It it hold. You can run functions and closures, and it holds your variables and it's a full-on <laughs> kind of session that you can use for testing code and doing little trials and all kinds you of bits can't, of bobs. Like, load your whole application in it and then. I don't know if you stuff. can load the application at this stage. I, you may well be able to call components and things that are that that sit somewhere within the context of your app. I don't know. I have I haven't looked at it in too much detail myself, but it's certainly it's certainly where 
they're headed, you know what I mean, with respect to say things like command box. Also with things like command box, you can just, you can just literally CD into a folder which has a cold fusion app and just say start server and it immediately starts a server and loads that into a Lucy 4.5 server and runs that for you. So there's a lot of really cool stuff like that that's coming through that I think is amazing. The other thing, and that, that's, that's not even, that's not even the next generation Lucy server. That's 4.5, like as of now. The other thing that's really important is the OSGI stuff, which is a kind of fundamental thing for enterprise Java, this ability to load different versions of a class file or jar file or be able to hot deploy things directly onto the server to have extensions that can be bundled and loaded when they're needed, these sorts of things. So, for example, one of the things that we're currently going through is this disassembling of the entire server so that the individual components of the server are extensions which are loaded only if they're needed. So if you don't use Hibernate, for example, at all, why would you load that? Do you know what I mean? If you don't use or use one JDBC driver, why load all the others? This ability to literally load things on demand. So one of the things that's just come through um, in recent commits is the ability to just um, lazy load those things straight off the local directory. And if they're not available, it'll go out to try and find them and download them and install them at, at, at the time that it's needed. That's still being worked out as to how that will you know, be structured with respect to deployments and updates and the like. But there's a capacity to unbundle things so that we have an extremely lean, mean kind of Lucy machine sitting there that only uses those extensions that it needs is critical for all kinds of things. And especially from our perspective, you know, the DevOps side of things, you want stuff to come up very quickly. You want it to be the smallest footprint it can be and for it to do the function that it does. So that's also very cool. And even just this morning, and I'm walking the dog and there on the Slack channel, there's a whole ongoing debate internally on the uh, the Lucy server Slack channel about um, you know, how we're going to do environment variables. There's a little bit better support for environment variables now in Lucy, uh, the Lucy um, next-gen product, but we want it to be you know proper 12-factor kind of environment. You, you wake up in the dev environment right. and you don't have to have some crack-smoking XML copy going on to give you your local JDBC data sources that can just all be, you know, magically effectively eked out of the environment, which is precisely what you want in a modern deployment environment. And why isn't Cold Fusion there? I mean, it should be there already. I mean, Adobe should have taken us there five years ago. And that's why we're like, we've just got to get on with it ourselves. This has got to be something that that we do and that we pioneer. And that's one of the cool things about the different members that are part of Lucy and other members that we hope will join are people who use the product every day. They want these features because they need these features. And that's why we're going to make them a priori priority to build the features that actually make sense to us as developers, not, you know, that make, makes good, good spiel in a marketing pitch. So no CF client? CF client, I think that will be one of the things that keeps us away from 100% Adobe CFML compatibility. What a shame. So sad. I'm so sad. <laughs> I really am. I'm now very upset. Well, I was, I was all like, maybe I'll check this thing out. And now I'm like, nah, no way. But, but having said that, having said that, <laughs> the whole notion, and this is exactly where the bundles stuff comes in, this extensibility layer, is that for things like the, you know, all the UI tags that came out, you know, over oh, the God. last couple of versions, you know, like, heaven forbid, CF map. Apparently there's something called CF window. I didn't even know it existed. I'm like, holy mackerel, you're joking. CF window to spawn a modal. Christ the mighty. Yep. Anyway, so there's, there's that sort of thing. You could easily package those things up into a kind of UI library, which is only low, you know, it's, um, it's, 
late binding, it's only loaded if you need it, and it could just be a compatibility thing if you need it. So again, not something that's critical to the overall functioning of the server, but maybe critical to somebody's legacy code base. And it's certainly something that could be um, sponsored by somebody who was who was making that move. And there's been some, you know, some great wins recently. I mean, I don't know if you're aware that, um, you know, the, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory at NASA, I don't know if servers they've got 200 or something. They're all moving to Lucy now, so it's like, uh, nice. you know, it's, it's starting right. to really pick up pick up speed in terms of um, its adoption and acceptance. And of course, you know, people are still going to use Adobe Cold Fusion. Of course, they are. But um, this is a really serious alternative. It's not just a compatibility layer. It's going to be something that is a real competitive product, not just with Cold Fusion, but with, you know, when I say Cold Fusion, Adobe Cold Fusion, but with other web languages that you might choose to migrate to. Anyway, that's my, that's my pitch. You, you know, thank you for letting me have it. Just it's putting it out pitch. there. It's going to be all, yeah. it's going to be all magic and unicorns prancing on the, on the, cupcakes. on the horizon. That's it. Cupcakes? Cupcakes will be available as well, probably. Cool, cupcakes too. All right, cool. Well, uh, seriously, I think like Lucy is on a good way, and Lucy Five, from what I've seen so far, looks really interesting and awesome. Cool. Yep, thanks. Awesome, it is. It's going to be cool. It is. It's cool. That 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 sort of vibe that you had at Dev Objective, still still hot. Really, yeah. still what we're feeling at the moment. What's the story so, with um, IDE support for Lucy? For the Lucy language specifically, with the Cold Fusion dialect, that was kind of reasonably okay and easy because a lot of other IDEs supported CFML, right? But with the new dialect, what's going to happen Jeez, on that you, end? You're really getting, you're grilling me today. Well, sorry. I, there's there's a there's a recent survey about you know IDEs, what people's preferred IDEs. I think I think that's kind of mystically turned into a you know Lucy Association is building an IDE for. Uh, but there's no. <laughs> There's nothing like that. There's no intention to build an ID at all. I think um, from our perspective, what's important is to facilitate people who want to provide support in IDEs. So where do we focus our attention? If we need to have a, a Lucy language specific, you know, code hinting and, uh, and and that kind of code support option, which um, set of editors should we be targeting first for support in terms of giving people um, access to the bits and bobs and information they might need. And it's all part of an ongoing process for us to enable a community. So whereas Rylo was a bit more closed, we're really trying to be open. It only takes like three lines in the terminal to actually compile Lucy Server now rather than the kind of, you know, you used to have to sacrifice a chicken and oh do God. all sorts of stuff to get Rylo going. Full moon, yeah, I know. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So. Now it's really easy to get your own builder Lucy going if you wanted to hack on that. There'll be the extensibility layer that you can start to do things that are really quite interesting and even commercial if you wanted to in that extensibility layer. But even the docs project, I mean, Dominic from uh, Pixel 8's done a fantastic job in putting together like a special document building application which extracts all the stuff from a Git repo and generates this beautiful documentation. And it really is it's pretty. We, we had a hand in doing the pretty side of it. And it allows you to just get in there, click on even if it's just the, the description or an attribute and immediately correct it. You know, do a pull request on GitHub and have that pushed in and accepted and immediately part of the documentation. There's an HTML build, there's a you know, what's that crack smoking thing called? Dash. Yeah. Only new Dash. to Dash. It's a great product. It's awesome, eh? Yeah. Yeah. And it, so Lucy support, Lucy documentation support for Dash, it's already there. And that's a that is a, a very significant ongoing project. It it always makes me laugh a bit when people sit there going, oh, the documentation is not good enough. It's like, it is a really hard thing, documentation. Do you know what I mean? It takes a lot of people. And what we need to do first 
is empower the community to be able to make the contributions that will make the documentation great. There's nothing worse than having stuff that's really hard to contribute to because you're really limiting your audience to the total diehard kind of zealot types to the only people who can be bothered to compile anything to get going. We just want it to be easy, as easy as we can make it for people to be able to contribute. And we've still got a long way to go, but that's part of our you know, our kind of belief system, our DNA, if you like, with respect to the custodianship of the community now as a very big difference to the way it used to be. And I have to agree, you know, I've been compiling my own my own Lucy server since Dev Objective regularly. And it the project imports into IntelliJ right away and it's literally clicking a button and it spits out all the files you need for for run for updating your Lucy server. So it's really straightforward. Good. I'm glad to hear that. I really am. And I mean, in terms of, in terms of the support for, you know, the different types of downloads and installers, there's, there's still kind of that range of options that we make available. We're going to try and make that simpler for people and just suggest a particular way of downloading and installing, but still provide all of the options, just not provide them all up front because that's also, you know, give people choice and suddenly you're confronted with, oh, I need to understand what the choices are. But we'll try and simplify that as we go along. And in fact, a new website will be launched relatively soon. I want to promise that in a, in a really short term. But that it's a, a new website will be coming soon. It's really targeted at a broader audience than just CFML users. It's people who would be interested in Lucy server. And obviously, that would include uh, CFML developers, but potentially others. But we need to be positioning ourselves like that, you know. If you're new to our language, how does it work? Not just, oh, we, we do CFML, but different. It's, it's, it is that whole kind of concept of uh, how we approach it. We had an interesting discussion at Dev Objective with Dan Callahan from uh, Mozilla. And uh, he had, you know, he, he's a big open source advocate and he had some good things to say about, you know, he thought the project had a great deal of promise. Even he was excited about it, even though it was, uh, you know, Cold Fusion and it wasn't his, his cup of tea. But we needed to change our approach so that we are effectively talking to the broader audience out there, not just the niche. And obviously, we'll cater for the niche. That's incredibly important. But we need to be positioning ourselves, if you like, marketing ourselves to a much broader audience than we currently do. And we will. And that's exactly the plans that we have. And that's, you know, well underway. Awesome. Sounds good. Very good. Yeah. I'm really excited about Lucy. I think that's the future of CFML if people are interested in that technology and that language. And we can clearly see that, you know, by what has happened in a reasonably short amount of time over the last five, six months already. Six months. It's an incredibly short period of time. If you think just from the administration standpoint, when we're looking at having a, a general assembly or an extraordinary general assembly for um, uh, for the association to kind of ratify, you know, the management board and these sorts of things that are, are currently kind of um, less formal structures now, but in anticipation for a much larger membership audience. And we, we really do want to pursue a large membership. It's it's less than the cost of Cold Fusion Enterprise, a single license to be a member for a year. And it has such a tremendous impact on the overall productivity and the community that we have that, uh, you know, we'd like to encourage everybody who has a vested interest in the future of CFML to participate in that way if possible. How many um, contributors are there on that or supporters on that lower non-member level? Currently. It's about uh, non-member supporters. I think there's oh, from last last meeting, I think it's about 50 Okay. So it's not, it's not inconsequential. Do you know what I mean? And there's been no effort to push that hard. 
I mean, I'm sitting here, it's the death knell of this interview, and it's the first time I've mentioned it. It's it, We will get to that point. We're just kind of trying to get everything in place so that we can be as broadly inclusive as possible. But it's it does take time to get all that stuff in place. And, and in parallel to all of that, we're still soldiering on, committing code, making new builds, you know, putting it out there and pushing it forward. But it's, uh, you know, there's a, it, what's exciting is that there's a lot of people who are all actively involved in making this happen. It's not just a couple of blokes banging in code anymore. It's, it's, it's a much larger infrastructure behind that that is hopefully going to make this community really sing. And it'll take time for sure, but um, we're on the way. I do agree. I think from my impression, the current community of active people working on Lucy is already larger than the active community at Rilo ever was. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So that is absolutely true. And certainly, certainly in terms of the broader sense of a community that goes beyond just the contribution of code. And obviously, code contribution is absolutely critical, but uh, it's only one part of the whole kind of, uh, you know, the health of that ecosystem. Yeah. Cool. Alrighty. Thanks a lot for, for joining us. I think, um, Mark needs to probably leave soon because otherwise he's getting in trouble. You guys better wrap up. People are going to be, you know, they're going to be sticking matchsticks in their eyes to stay up for this one. (laughs) Way past my bedtime. Oh, come on. (laughs) Bullshit. Cool. So I think. We had a few other things we wanted to talk about, which we are just going to postpone to the next. Um, I'll pimp my events. Session. Yeah, you can pimp your events. That's fine, Mark. Pimp your events. Do it now. Pimp my events. I'll pimp my events. So they're all Google Cloud events, strangely enough. Um, so the first one coming up, which will actually be next Thursday, depending on when time this comes out. So that is Thursday the – where are we? It's the last one, actually. Thursday, June the 11th here in San Francisco. Um, they'll be the last of a series of, uh, what are we calling them? Google Cloud Platform spin-ups at the Galvanize space in San Francisco. We're doing one-on-one office hours from one o'clock forward and then having talks in the evening as well. So if you want to come talk to us about pretty much anything Google Cloud and get your questions answered and all that sort of good stuff, um, I will probably be there, I expect, depending on some other things. Um, but definitely my coworkers will be there, sitting there willing and waiting eagerly to answer any questions you have about uh, Google Cloud Platform. Um, and the other one worth mentioning, which is coming up soon as well, is there is a series of events going around the world, not in Australia, unfortunately, um, which is Next, a Google Cloud Platform Experience. If you search in Google, we'll put a link in there specifically for Next, a Google Cloud Platform Experience. Uh, we've got an event on June 12th in New York City, which is full. We have an event in San Francisco on June 16th, which is full. We have one in Tokyo, which I'm going to assume is full because I can't read Japanese, but we still have spots left available in London and in Amsterdam on June 23rd and 25th. Uh, we'll be talking about more Google Cloud stuff. Uh, some really neat things going on there. I've seen some of the presentations. They're going to be there. It's going to be pretty pretty awesome so those are the events i'll be at i'll be at the san francisco one um i won't be at any other ones but uh if you're around for any of those things please do come say hello i always like talking to people cool i think next time we are probably going to talk about some google cloud stuff because i really have the urge to talk about my experience with google cloud messaging and chrome web push Okay. And that's a very mixed experience. So the Google Cloud messaging itself is really cool. That works fine. But the web push stuff in Chrome, that just drives you mental. 
at least the current implementation. And I have to concede that the API is obviously quite young and it's all, you know, kind of a moving target, but it's like, oh, why is it so hard, people? And do you, wanna, do you wanna know something just to confuse it even further and we'll leave it as a bit of a teaser? Google Cloud Messaging is actually a separate product from the Google Cloud Platform. Just to really? Just highlight of you. Yeah, just to confuse it. Ah, uh, so you can't even talk about Google Cloud Messaging, really, no. because it's not, no. not your platform. It's not my platform. Well, then better read up, Mark. If you go to cloud.google.com and you go, through, <laughs> it might it might actually be. Is it in the list of products? I should probably check that before I say that out loud. But no, it's not in the list of products. It's yeah, it's it's more on the Android side of things. It's actually very very interesting that way. But okay, that yeah, for we should, another we should, day. We should talk about why that's being set up that way next time. Then. I have no idea. In, in yeah. episode thirty nine. Because people with bigger paychecks than me make decisions. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, Jeff, um, it was an absolute pleasure to talk to you again. I'm, I hope I see you at an event sometime soon. Oh, I, it's I. You know, I'm super keen actually to look at Google Cloud. <laughs> well, you know the one thing. You know the one. You know the one thing that this is from the last podcast, but the one thing that sold me on it. As something we should look at is per minute pricing as opposed to per hour pricing. Oh, yeah. Isn't that weird? It's weird. Yep. Weird that, that one thing should um, should sing out in my mind. Anyway, but uh, no, it was wonderful. Thank you for having me. And I, I know I've banged on for probably way That's too right. long. Jeff, I think that was really to... useful. Yeah. Um, cool. Jeff, if people want to get in contact with you, what's the best way of doing that? Oh, they can hit me up on Twitter at, at Modius, M-O-D-I-U-S. Wonderful. I'm just dropping stuff on the floor. Excuse me. Um, it's, a, it's a professional show here. Uh, Kai, if people want to reach you, how, they, how should they do that? Um, on Twitter, Agent K. Wonderful. Uh, I'm probably the same neurotic on Twitter as well. And if you want to reach me on anything else, there's links there to my website, which has links for anything else. Cool. Awesome. Perfect. Thanks a lot, guys. That was really good and useful, I think, to clear up a lot of questions around Lucy and forking and legality of the fork and all that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, thanks a lot for coming, Jeff. My pleasure. Cool. Thank you very much, gentlemen.